Hello and welcome to From the Rooker End, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John and with me on this slightly cold but let's say fresh Sunday morning uh, is Colin. Good morning. And Colin is on a train via Skype and Michael is in the comfort of his home. Yeah, and like my parents with me, I'm not surprised, just disappointed. <laughs> yes, Crystal Palace won, Watford nil uh, was the game yesterday, which we'll be talking about. Thank you very much to everybody who got involved via at Watford Podcast with our what should be on the agenda. And I suppose that the first place to start, before we get onto those maybe, uh, Colin, you're, you're at the yep. game yesterday, you see the starting eleven, and you go, that's no surprise whatsoever. That's the team that beat Liverpool 3-0 and any good manager isn't going to make any changes yeah quite a lot of people were saying oh well Pereira uh, you know he isn't doing much lately but actually he was on the pitch when we scored those three goals against Liverpool so you're quite right to say that that is the team that beat Liverpool 3-0 despite all the good work that had been done prior to Jerry going off injured but uh, so yeah no surprise felt fairly confident but also you're aware that there's always a possibility of a bit of a hangover after a after a sort of miraculous win like that but I think Pearson is the sort of chap that you know does his best to not let those kind of things happen. Would have got everyone back on the training ground, told them to forget about the win, concentrate on the next game, and so on. And actually, for the most part, they they did do that. It didn't look like there was a, any sense of a hangover um, no. in the way we played. No, it really didn't. Um, especially the, you know before the before the goal. Absolutely not. That was still Watford being the good Watford that we can be. I suppose it's what happened after the goal that was more telling of yesterday's performance uh, and sort of reminders, Michael, uh, of of what we how we have felt about Watford and and our frustrations. It was a frustrating result for what should have been. Not, I'm not saying we should have won. I never I never say that about Watford, but a game where we should have got something and in theory deserved something for a you know, good portion of that game. Yeah, it's just fine margins in these games and, and, and against teams like Crystal Palace, who I would sort of class as well. So we're not in the same sort of sub-league in the, in the Premier League at the moment. They're doing much better than us, unfortunately. But they're, they're a team of a similar sort of stature as us, aren't they? And you'd always hope to do something against them. But they're always the tightest games. And I think, you know, even looking back on yesterday's game, yes, it wasn't Watford's most fluent performance, fluid performance. But all three results, probably no, neither team could have argued with. Watford started off by far and away the better and carved out the the better options. They looked the better footballing team for for large part, certainly in the in the first half, didn't they? And I think any any result is is possible. And it's just frustrating that despite the um, talent that that Watford have at their disposal, and yes, you, you know, you talk about Pereira. I think he's one that's got a lot of making up to do for me, certainly in these final well nine games now but you know there's talent on that pitch and they just weren't able to trans- transform it into uh, into anything that really potent were they although they carved out a couple of half decent opportunities uh, and Troy, Troy forced a decent save later on in the game but it was never anything that wasn't that fluent uh, non-stop approach that, that, that we had against Liverpool but I don't suppose you're ever going to be able to do that against a team like Palace because in it in a funny sort of way, to say they're better equipped is the wrong description, but they're much better at games against teams like Watford than, than Liverpool are, I think, because it's it's their bread and butter like it's our bread and butter as well. And it's, it's games like that, they're almost it's, uh, almost decided on the on the toss of a coin, aren't they? And it's just disappointing that Watford's early foothold in the game and probably on paper, better quality squad wasn't able to to transform it into 
what would have been an incredibly valuable point, actually, in my opinion. I think I woke up yesterday thinking, let's not lose this one. I think that's that was would have been the most important thing. Four points from Man United, Liverpool and Palace would have been an, an incredible return. As it is, three points, I don't think, is the end of the world. But the, the underlying feeling is frustration that we didn't capitalise. But I've woken up this morning thinking... We need to be scientific about this. We need to approach this how the how the players will approach it. They'll want our relegation rivals to uh, to lose and to not pick up points, but they won't waste emotional energy doing what we do, which is refresh, refresh, refresh Twitter and any other social media um, or, or or teletext. Teletext isn't a thing. Uh, the BBC live scores. They won't waste any time um, looking at other scores, and they will focus on what they can do in the next game. And I think as supporters, that's where we're at now, and we we need to do that. So that's how I'm leveling it off with myself this morning so I'm not 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 panicking basically you're absolutely right Mike to move on and to keep going is important and I think the only thing I sort of took from the game uh, in terms of the Crystal Palace side of things was the fact that they were incredibly boring to watch <laughs> maybe that's me trying to, to 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 know why we lost but yeah they are they are a team that has its way uh, they went one up and then they made it particularly difficult and they basically had two better centre-backs than Liverpool did or two better performing centre-backs than Liverpool did the week before, um, which null and void did. But so the, the big question, Colin, you mentioned it already uh, when you looked at that starting eleven, Mr Bobby P, Roberto Pereira out on the left. Was he the, the source of frustration for you? No, not particularly. I, I wasn't particularly, I was frustrated with the result more frustrated in the second half with our final ball, as we have done for the vast majority of the season. I mean, we had chances. There was one, Saar came down the right. I think by then it was it was quite late on. I think maybe even Welbeck and Gray were on the pitch and they, they were running with the centre-back. So there was four players, you know, approaching the penalty spot, going towards the goal. And if Saar had stuck it between them and the keeper, there's a very good chance we would have either got an own goal or scored. And and he just put the final ball just behind them. And so you know, they, they all ran into each other and the goalkeeper, but the ball you know, was, was behind them. No one could get on it. And there was another one later when Pasetto came on where he, he cut back inside. It was actually quite a good move. Saar did one of his characteristic runs from right wing into the centre-forward position. And if the ball had been hit a bit more cleanly, he'd have had a really good chance to, to score. But he sort of slipped over and scuffed it and the keeper was able to just get there ahead of Saar. That was rather the story of the whole game. In the first half, they just packed their box. They may have better centre-backs, but it, it wasn't really about that, John. I think it was more to do with the fact that the whole team wanted to defend against us. Uh, whereas in, uh, against Liverpool, only, only Van Dijk and Lovren fancied defending and no one else could be bothered. So I think that was the difference there. They were wide open and, and Palace weren't. They just they sat back. They were like us against Liverpool, in fact. And it felt a bit like that in the first 30 minutes. We had the ball with lots of intricate passing, lots of really good movement off the ball and finding each other and little tips and taps and through and back. And, you know, and then, but, the, but when they got to the point where you could shoot and score, there were four Palace defenders standing in front of them and they just couldn't find the, the gap. So it was a, it was frustrating in that regard, but I, I do I, I take some positivity and some optimism from the fact that our levels didn't drop. You know, they kept going to the end. They kept fighting for that point in the early part. They wanted to dominate, and I, I kind of knew before the game, because of Palace and because of their record at home, that you know you've got to get your noses in front against them. And if you do that, then they have to they have they can't play the way that they've been played. If they score first, then you've got to try and break them down, and that's very difficult to do because. Roy has Roy for all his um, Royness has, um, has got them pretty well organised and they are pretty hard to break down. The thing that makes me pretty nervous about this, John, and you, you mentioned Palace are boring, and I think you're probably right, and I think their fans would agree. They just they whilst they're exceptional defensively at home, their their scoring record is absolutely appalling. 
And I think the problem we've got and the thing that makes me slightly nervous is that we're going to come up against teams who are very, very similar. Um, and, and the games that we need to perform in are going to be games like this one, I think. And Collins hit the nail on the head there. I think if we go behind in them, we're going to find it very, very, very difficult. I mean, we've got Leicester at home. I'd be surprised if we get anything... Well, that's a tough one. Burnley away is, is the is the archetypal tough oh, game, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's the dictionary definition of a, of a difficult game away at, away at Turf Moor. You know, so you're looking at Southampton, Norwich, Newcastle and, and West Ham, all really... Southampton are out, are out of it, but the others are, are in exactly the same situation as us. We'll be absolutely petrified about about going down, and we'll and we'll set up accordingly. Um, and we will have to work hard to to go ahead and then stay ahead because I think if we go behind in those games, we're going to find ourselves up against a very very similar situation as we as we as we did yesterday. Perhaps not quite with the know how of, of Crystal Palace, and perhaps it'll be questionable whether they can ex- execute it quite as well as they will. But if we do go behind in these games, we are going to face massed ranks of of defensive opposition players, and we must, must, must be better in breaking breaking them down. And I think everyone we've mentioned so far has a role to to play in that. I think you know this really is Pereira's time to shine because I think Saar will attract more attention over on that that right hand side. His electric pace will will mean that people will focus perhaps a little bit more on him. Can he drag some players away and let um, uh, uh, and let Pereira come into the game a little bit more? I'm I'm not sure but what we have to do is be better and it's this age old thing it's the defining um, issue of our season our real Achilles heel and I believe you me I know what uh, an Achilles uh, heel feels like Um, is this final no Mike did break his Achilles heel whilst uh, whilst in goal snap is the the correct word Uh, yeah yeah, uh, whilst uh, defending goal against Tommy Mooney yeah um, so uh, yeah, so but the define you know the the defining phrase of our season so far is issues with the final third and have you just heard Colin there and you know the, the, we know Colin's on the train and it's sort of break, going in and out a little bit so the, the quality isn't amazing it sums up Watford's season doesn't it we're almost there the three of us at times and then it's sort of just drifting in and drifting out a little bit so again Watford's season in microcosm this podcast we're nothing if not authentic here at from the rookery and you see um, but yeah that final final third get it sorted we will stay in the Premier League if we don't we won't. It does seem that simple. I don't know. It's still on my mind, and I, I can see Colin. I can feel at least uh, from Twitter and, and everything that goes with that. Come next Saturday, when we're announcing the team, the club are announcing the team, and all of a sudden you see Roberto Pereira on that sheet again. You know, he is the one that's being talked about in terms of that needs to change. You've said. And we don't really discuss necessarily specifically, but you said Welbeck. I've got people on Twitter telling me, you know, why don't we put uh, Will Hughes out wide and uh, stick uh, Chalibur in the middle? Is it almost like that's that thing of that frustration post-match of a loss that we shouldn't have had, where we're now thinking, right, we've got to change something. Let's change that. And let's think of any crazy way that we can change that. No, I don't. I, I don't believe in that. And, and anyone who thinks that Will Hughes should be pushed out to the left wing, well, I don't want to say anything rude, but you know, the thing with Will is that he's found his place in our team, and you don't want to change that for a starter. He was excellent. The first thirty minutes, he was. He looked like flipping messy. He was just buzzing around, and he was just. He was at the centre of everything for those first thirty minutes. He seemed to constantly be available. And this is one of his great talents. Will Hughes is that he can always find space in tight areas, and he's always available to receive the ball. 
And when he gets it, he tends to lay it off in short passes and then get it back again. And to push him out wide, and he's got absolutely no pace at all, really, in Premier League terms. Maybe in the Championship he can play out wide, but in the Premier League, it's absolutely there's no berth for him out there. So, yes, Welbeck could go out there. I've stopped saying it because I know that it's obvious to me that Pearson doesn't fancy him out there on the left. He wants to play him as Deeney's replacement, as he did yesterday. I, I would like to see him play out there. He's played, as I said, a million times. He's played out there his whole career. He's powerful. He likes to have that space in front of his feet. I don't think he's a natural number nine. I don't think we need to change personnel. I think that, that, that can be, that can be a, a sort of knee-jerk reaction. And I know the old Einstein quote about doing the same thing and expecting a different result as the first line of madness. But actually, we played that team against Liverpool and won. And we played that team against Palace and lost. And the reasons are not to do with personnel, but it's to do with just quality moments in the game. In the game against Liverpool, there was a quality moment. Ball comes over Deeney's head. Decore does something superb. And Saar manages to find his way between two defenders and toe poke it in. The second goal, he does brilliantly to chip Alisson. Five times out of ten, Alisson probably saves that one-on-one. So, you know, it's those quality moments that make the difference. And, and yesterday, we didn't have them. The previous week, we did. And at home, we seem to be more comfortable as a side. We've had six games at home since Pearson arrived. We've had four wins, a draw and a defeat. Let's face it, should have been a draw. That is really good. Our away record is less good. We've had, the, we've had a win at Bournemouth, I think, and a couple of draws. So, so at home, I feel more confident. And I think this Leicester side, yes, they're fighting to stay in the top four. Yes, they've got lots of good players, but they don't want to win and they want to come at us. And I think that perhaps when we play teams like that, we've got the pace, we've got the trickery and we've got the qualities to do well in those games. When we're faced, as, as Mike quite rightly says, with the massed ranks of blue and red stripes uh, in front of us, yeah, it's so, so difficult. And, and all teams find that difficult. You know, Liverpool find it hard to break teams down. City find it hard to break teams down at times. United find it hard to break teams down, at, uh, but not us, sadly. John, just to bo- bo- bottom out your, your question, John, about, about formation. I think I'm, I'm with Colin. I think on paper, the, the 11 that was, was sent out yesterday is the, is the right 11 in the right formation. And I think, we, I think we've talked about Pereira enough. It's, it's just up to him to, to step up and, and, and turn in the performances that we need to, to turn our, our form round. But I think the big issue for me, the bigger question and, and perhaps the concern, obviously falls on me to raise the concerns and the, and the, and the worries, but what happens when it isn't going our way? Yesterday, you know, as Collins alluded to, we were okay. We were in the game from from minute one to minute ninety, pretty much. But things just weren't going our way, were they? The crosses weren't falling where we needed them to. The shots weren't weren't on target. In so things weren't happening for us. So we need to change it. And it was the same. We've seen it again. You know, when things have started going against us. What's the what's what's the plan B? What's the backup? What's the change in personnel? What's the change in formation when we need to when we really need to make a difference? And that's where I think we're finding it a struggle at the moment. When things aren't going our way, I think we find it very very difficult to turn it round. And that's that's the slight worry I have going forward. It's just I'd be more interested in seeing us how we tra- how we change a game. Um, so I think the personnel itself is is fine. I've, I'm convinced we have the the team and the players, even without Gerard Delafeu. Um, Core Crikey, do you see the photo update of his um, post surgery? That thing he's got on his on his leg looks incredibly uncomfortable. Incredibly, the sixty million uh, com- dollar man with that sort of attachment. Yeah, poor old Jerry. I mean, my heart just sank really as you see the reality of it don't you when you see that huge great contraption there attached to his leg so my heart went out to him so again best wishes to to Jerry for his recovery but even without him I think we have a team that that is that is good and it is worth getting excited about it's just how we change it what do we do when things aren't going our way um 
So it'd be, and we're going to have to do that in the in the coming nine games. And I think that's probably what Nigel Pearson and his team will be will be discussing over uh, croissants this this morning. Colin, you know, how do we break teams down? A question comes there from from STG WFC uh, Stu, I think his name is. Uh, he sort of says, "How do we break teams down uh, when we are behind? What should we do differently?" And also. What should the team do if opponents sit back in their area so Zar can't get behind them? What is there anything more we can do? It's a tricky one, that. Because what's interesting from what Mike was saying about teams like Norwich, Southampton, Newcastle coming to Vicarage Road, they'll, they'll be happy with a the point. They will set up thinking, if we get a point here, you know, that, that'll do for us. Uh, Southampton and Newcastle are basically safe, but Norwich will need points so they may have a slightly different approach but they'll still think a point at Vicarage Road is a good point for them unless they're in dire need of, of the three which I suspect they will be for us a point won't be enough we'll have to win our home games I think to stay up when teams sit back and, and you have to break them down it's very very difficult as I've just said you know much better teams than us find it very very difficult to to break teams down what you have to try and do and it's one of the things that fans get very frustrated with is that you have to keep recycling the ball and if you recycle the ball you, you, you can encourage the opposition to come out a little bit you want them to come out so that you can get in behind them. If you press up against them with the ball, a bit like we did yesterday in the first 30 minutes, we had the ball in the last third and they had eight or nine men behind the ball. What we needed and we did do, but then you start the fans just get on the team's back. So they get it in, out wide. There's nothing really going on. So they recycle it back to Kapu. It goes back to Cabaselli. Then it might even go back to Foster. And then it comes forward again. It goes out to the left-hand side. And, the, and everyone's shouting, attack, 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 put it in the box. But of course, that's not the way to do it. What you want is to try and find a little chink uh, somewhere in, in the armory of the opposition who have, who have got two banks of four in front of you. And you can do that by drawing them out and then finding a little space in between the midfield and the defence, then a run, then a pass, and then possibly you can break teams down. Now, we've got pace, obviously, with Saar. Pereira's no slouch. And, and Dini is the battering ram. So they've all got roles to play. And it's just about... As I said earlier, it's just about those key moments and the quality in those key moments. If the pass is the right pass, you've got an opportunity to score. If it's if it's a foot either way, you make it so difficult for the person receiving the ball that they can't really do much with it. And we saw that a lot yesterday. So I don't think there's a magic formula for breaking teams down because if, if that existed, then people would have discovered it by now. But um, obviously pace. And, and when you have drawn them out and you do win the ball, you have to attack with pace and try and get in behind. Um, we weren't able to do that yesterday. They're, they're, they're very good. You have to give credit to the Palace defence and not just the defence, the two men in central midfield. They played very well. They, 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 they shut space down. They made it almost impossible for us to find to get any traction, really, in the final third. But there are ways of doing it, and I'm sure they'll be working on it um, every minute of the, every day on the training ground because, that, as, is, as, he, as, it, as the question implies, that is the key to the, our future in the Premier League, I think. Patience. Patience is the answer. That's my one word. There you go. Have you ever had a one word no, answer? No, 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 no. Right, right. You can't say one. Yeah, you say you can't say. Here's my one word answer, and spend many words saying what that it's a one word answer, Mike. <laughs> but patience. The, well, one of the things that, that we've, that's come up, and I don't necessarily agree with this. The whole thing about practicing corners and getting more from corners. I think I read somewhere once about like only three percent of corners actually lead to a goal. Yeah. And like only 17% actually lead to something positive for the team taking it. So I'm not as fussed about that. I know it's it's frustration. And I can't remember who it was. I think it, I remember Mourinho saying a few years ago, when he first maybe when he first came to England, like that how it, he's amazed at how English fans get so excited about a corner um, when actually it doesn't mean that much. It is a frustration, Colin. I'm not going to disagree with that. 
Are you? To, to answer your question, John, it is frustrating. And, and the reason it's frustrating is not that we don't score. And I accept the point about 3% of goals. You only score 3% of goals from corners. I understand that. Set pieces are very important in British football. We do score. Teams do score a lot of goals from set pieces, corners, free kicks and so on. What's frustrating yesterday was it, it wasn't that we didn't score from a, uh, a corner, but it's that we didn't even give ourselves a chance to score from the corner because Messina took them. He hit it about five feet in the air. It, it went straight to the near post where one of their defenders was there to sort of chest it down and get them on the break. If it was a plan, a man nips in at the near post and nods it on like Barnsley used to do, then okay, that's the plan. And if, it, if you execute it, good. And if you can't, you know, at least you've tried. But then Hughes came in, he put a few into the, what, what might, you might regard as the mixer, but um, we weren't able to capitalise on, on or create opportunities. If I can come in, I think, speaking as a, as a supporter, I take on board everything Colin says there about the, and what you suggest, John, about the stats and the, and the likelihood of, of scoring. And I think it is more, more is made of, of um, set pieces in the English game. It just, it just is. But from a supporter's point of view and just speaking from an emotional uh, uh, point of view and what it's like watching the game, I spoke, my last answer was patience. We need to be, give them the opportunity to build and draw defenders out and to, and to earn these situations as a supporter it is therefore very very frustrating if we've worked hard to to earn a dead ball situation and we effectively flunk it it's quite hard to watch as a supporter because it thinks like oh you know we've done all the hard work we've got into the good area we've got a situation where we can cross the ball in ask questions of a de- of a de- of a defender and we're fluffing our lines far too often and you know I do but you know this the stats don't lie you don't score direct from a corner very often but it's all Watford don't score direct from a corner or a free kick ever at the moment. And, you know, this season it has really been a, a trademark of our of our performance, hasn't it? And that's why when it gets down to this end of the season, when it's the, the sharp end of the season and it's and the games are so tight and the games are likely to be so tight, as I said earlier on in the in the show, it's you've got to make the most of every every single opportunity. Because you've seen it can cause issues as well. If you swing a good corner in and even if you don't score it score from it but if a defender heads it up in the air or the keeper comes to punch it and, it and he misses it it can cause issues and it can it can have an impact on the game you don't need to score directly from it but you do need to ask a question and I just don't think we're asking a question enough and that's what Colin was, was saying I think we don't give ourselves an opportunity to score but it has such a big impact swing the ball in let them panic let them worry about it let the keeper come let them test the communication between the centre backs and the and the keeper see what happens when they when they have an opportunity to break and, and all that sort of stuff and I think just by fluffing our lines we're wasting um, all the hard work that we put in to get there in the first place and and from a supporter it's it's quite just demoralising to see it. it's just like it's almost like well if we're missing if we're, we're the crosses are going in and they're not going to, to feet that's annoying and then if we've got a dead ball and we're not even doing it at pace and we're not doing it then it's like well this is uh, it's quite hard to see where we're going to get a, a goal from here, isn't it? And you know, it's, I'm not uh, hugely negative. I'm not overly upset about the way things are at the moment. I think we're in a decent chance of staying up, but we have to improve on these these little things. And and I think it's right that dead balls is brought up as one that we need to focus on. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end. Mike's surname is Parkin. He's a son called Arlo, and this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. Hello Arlo, we've all seen the, the pictures of Gerard Delafeu uh, in hospital recovering from his uh, surgery. Uh, do you have a, a message for him, like sort of something to help him get well a little bit quicker? Well, first of all, I just get well soon and don't ever stop thinking about when you're going to get back soon and you can start playing again because when you get back you'll be 
on fire and I think that you'll do really well. So when hope you get well soon and also just get just get well soon in general. Thank you for your time Arlo and uh, see you again next week. Bye. Thank you very much uh, for listening to From the Rookery End. As you know, uh, we're now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. There are many great podcasts, particularly like the uh, Football Clichés, uh, where you can, uh, last couple of weeks, you've heard our, our good co-host DCW uh, hosting on that one as well. Uh, there's also the Ornstein and Chapman uh, podcast, where they delve into uh, lots of the, uh, the workings of football. Not only will you get uh, advert-free versions of this podcast uh, via the Athletics website and app, if you go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end, but you also get to read some of the other fantastic articles and all the other content that the, that the Athletic produce. But also, if you do go there and get a seven-day trial and a 40% discount if you subscribe, it'd make us look really good. So if you want to go and have a look, go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end uh, and, uh, and do have a, have a look, see what it's like. It might not be your thing, it might be your thing, but have a look. Uh, and if you do decide to do it, then hey, you make us, as from the Rookery End, look a little bit better. Uh, so that's theathletic.com forward slash Rookery End. On the website this week, Adam Leventhal, uh, who does the Thursday podcast with us, uh, he uh, broke the story about a potential, and I'm going to really stress the potential part, of a new Watford stadium. There are some very pretty pictures uh, that were clearly not uh, finalised. They weren't any sort of... Uh, they weren't attached, shall we say, to any planning applications that they might be going into the local council. But, Mike, your initial reaction to the possibility of Watford leaving Vicarage Road was what? Do you know what? I've been thinking about this a lot over the last couple of days and I had a very visceral reaction to the um, to the debate about the about the badge I wanted to, to keep the badge and arguably you could say that you know Vicarage Road the Vic our home for as long as um, we can remember is probably the most historic it is the most it is the longest standing thing that is that means something that said I'm not sure I'd be upset if if we moved um, I've seen a lot of arguments about capacity, and I agree with that. I think one of the really interesting things about the Swiss Ramble post that we um, that we dissected dissected as if we went through it like a bunch of uh, <laughs> financial experts. We had a look at and tried to work out what it meant for us. But one of the interesting stats that came out of that was, and he almost put it in there as a bit of an offhand comment, that Watford's average attendance is actually declining in the, in the Premier League, and that mirrors what happened when we were in the first division under under Graham Taylor, doesn't it? When we we um, had that that horrible semi final in was it eighty seven when we lost four one to Spurs and and Watford didn't shift their tickets and. Graham Taylor said, "Well, you know, if Watford fans aren't getting excited about an FA Cup final and, and what would have been uh, what would have been their second FA Cup final at that time, it's it's difficult to see how we can grow that supporter base. And that that kind of thing is is happening again. So, thirty thousand probably feels about right. Whether Watford would fill it on a regular basis as it stands is is up up for debate. But I think the most important thing is the is the stadium as a as a cash generator, as something that can help Watford be a bit more." Sustainable, and what we've seen under under Gino Pozzo and Scott is that the, the 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 stadium is being repurposed, and it looks magnificent. I love I love Vicarage Road when you're in there at the moment. It's all closed in in the corners. I know that there's there's hospitality in there that presumably is earning decent money for the club. Um, well, I say I know, I, I assume I've never been in any of it. Uh, poor polite, poor polite myself. Um, so they're doing great work with it, um, but I'm. <laughs> 
and I, I, I'm not a financial expert, but I'm, I assume that a that it could be a facility that is sweated so much more if it's purpose built, um, if the parking is better, for example, little things like that. If there's more usable space within the was it within the facility for the for the community, then that's going to just it's another bigger revenue stream. Now, obviously, the big question is. How big does that revenue stream need to be to offset the costs of relocation and a new stadium? Pretty big, um, you'd said, because we know how dependent we are on on Premier League money. For me, there's a whole bunch of huge, huge variables there, and you're right, John, to point out there's you know there's no planning application attached to anything at the moment. It is all very conceptual at the moment, but there's there's a lot of variables, isn't there? It's a huge, huge, huge investment when already we know how dependent we are on. Uh, on that Premier League money. Part of me is excited because what I want to do is see us moving forward as a club, says says me, who was desperate to keep the old badge. It's an absolutely fascinating one. I think in terms of location, I think it, it seems to make sense because it's as far out of town-ish as, as it is at the moment, I think, just in in the other direction, isn't it? I think transport links might be, might, might be improved and parking might be improved. So I'm not against it. I'm not against it, I don't think. I think... I don't want it to be soulless. I think that's the one thing that you, the, probably the phrase that you've seen cropping up behind. We don't feel the Vicarage Road. At the, we don't feel Vicarage Road um, at the moment, anyway. Behind that phrase is soulless out of town bowl, um, which can sadly be used to describe so many of our away journeys these days. They're just big concrete monstrosities that are thrown up on a on a retail park, change the colour of the seats, and and there you have your your identikit stadium. I think the Vicarage Road experience at the moment is 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 very unique away fans complain i think mainly because they can't get beer and it's cramped in the vicarage road end but i think take the concourse out of it it's probably quite a good place to watch football you're very close to the to the game the atmosphere can be can be superb um, you're on top of the action so it would have to replicate that because i think as watford supporters we still feel part of that match day experience at, at watford wherever you're sat in the ground you you're never too far away from the action of some some description so any We'd have to try and port that across to any new stadium, and I, th- I think, and I think, uh, I think uh, club owners and, and architects have grown wise to that requirement. Um, you know, Spurs isn't identical. Not suggesting we'd have anything as, as grand as Spurs, but I think we're using their, or, or certainly have been consulting with their their architects or consultants. So that's that's encouraging. So, uh, but there's just so many variables. Bottom line is, I, I'm not averse to it as long as it's done absolutely right, and we can, we maintain that sort of close um, match day experience really I agree completely and you know these are lovely artistic photographs as I've already said and and I you know in my experience of these things they're there to start a conversation which we're doing right now but not just conversation with Watford fans it's a conversation with the wider community and I suspect that's what they've done Um, but Colin I You've been going, I, I hate it when I mention that you're older than us, and I don't mean it in a bad way at it's all. It's fine, I don't mind, I'm used to it now. <laughs> but, it's also a fact. Yeah, it is. but the, you know, the, the Vicarage Road I fell in love with, and the one that, you know, this is back in the, the mid to late 80s, does not exist anymore. It isn't there. And there was little things just before the, the last main stand disappeared. Literally some little yellow signs with numbers on the top, you know, what block you were in. Those are the things that I sort of miss. I do love Vicarage Road and it has been there as part of such amazing moments. Even this year, some amazing moments. I don't know if it's me because I'm now 40. If, you know, that's the thing that happens as you get older. But I, I'm not sentimental about about it 
uh, because I have those memories. Where, where are you at? Because I'm sure it's changed uh, 100% since you were. I mean, literally, the, the Rouse stand, now the Graham Taylor stand, opened the year I started watching Watford. So that's the only one from the original time I started. I listened to Mike and, I, and, and both of you, and I, I understand those points, but I just, I just don't think it's, it, it's a viable thing for a club the size of Watford to do. The, the amount of money it costs to build a brand new stadium on a, on a greenfield site, which I, I think it's in Bushy, isn't it? Um, it's going to cost millions, millions and millions of pounds we don't have. So you have to get partners on board, corporate partners, and they'll have a stake in what happens and how the stadium is used and naming rights and all of that sort of stuff. And yes, you can argue it's good that we move forward in that way. We have moved forward a massive amount under the Potsos from where we were when they came in to where we are now. And just in terms of the stadium, the look of the stadium and the kind of amount of money it can generate. But there are certain things about Vicarage Road that annoy me and if they, I mean, and they're not solvable. One is the rookery is not big enough. The rookery, it would be nice if the rookery was half as big again. The rookery really dictates the atmosphere uh, in Grant. And for the last 50 minutes, the rookery stood. The whole of the rookery pretty much stood, apart from the few people who, who didn't want it. But, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, and it would be nice to have a bigger rookery. Yes, there's no parking. Yes, the, the occupation road is cramped after the game. You can't get out of the stadium. But, you know, that's just football. I mean, most, most grounds you go to, you can't get out of them afterwards very easily. And, and, and Palace is the same. And Palace is, in, in some ways, quite similar experience to Vicarage. I suspect probably slightly worse for the away fans because it's so grotty in there. But I just don't see, you know, let me say this, and I don't mean to be negative, but fundamentally, we're a championship club. We, ha- we, have, we, have the, we have the fan base and the size of stadium currently as a championship club. Now, I agree with Mike. I don't see how, by going into a brand new 32,000 seat stadium, how that is going to affect the fan base. How are we going to build a fan base? Now, my one hope is that the children like my children, for instance, and your, all your children, who are obviously much younger than mine, this generation of children that have watched Watford during this Pozzo era may well remain Watford fans and bring up their children to be Watford fans. Because when Taylor arrived uh, in the late 70s, you know, Watford was just full of kids who loved Arsenal. You know, and, and he was able to turn that around and change it and bring generations of people into, into Watford and to become lifelong Watford fans. And then... That, that, I remember that era, the 80, around 87, and it used to go and it wasn't full. But the ground was awful. And also football was very different. People didn't want to go to football in 1987. There was violence. It was unpleasant. Uh, it was very male-orientated, uh, very young male-orientated. And so it, it's a very different era now. Football is so much a central part of mass British culture. People go to football just for the experience, even though they don't support either side. And we see that on a weekly basis. I've sat, people have sat behind me who are not Watford fans, but are also not the fans of the other. They've come to watch Premier League football. So there is an opportunity possibly for us to to increase our fan base with the success we're currently having, bring on a new generation, maybe draw more people into the club. Yes, you can make more money from the corporate side of a new stadium. You can, you know, you can have more corporate boxes, more hospitality. But I worry that we will overstretch ourselves. It's a bit like when you've got a really nice small company and then you try to roll it out and you get corporate people Ooh. involved and you open up 200, a bit like Jamie Oliver's restaurant. You open too many, you overstretch yourself, your cash flow is normally the issue and you end up in administration. Now, that is a genuine fear for me. If we, if we spend, let's say, 30 million, I mean, it's probably cost more than that to build a stadium. You know, the Tottenham one, admittedly is about four times the size of what we would build and it was in central London not on a greenfield site that cost a billion pounds so how much is the new Watford Stadium going to cost where's that money going to come from how will we ever get that money back 
those things worry me because what I, I, I go back to my point, I fundamentally see us really as a tier two side who are currently punching above our weight. And it's not just us, it's Bournemouth and Bournemouth have struggles with their stadium. They would love to have a bigger stadium, of course, because they've only got 11,000. But there are other, other clubs like us. Palace probably would be looking around saying, it'd be nice if we could build a new stadium because this place is absolutely, is, you know, it's falling around our ears. But you've just got to be so careful about how you capitalise it, how you protect yourself against that capitalisation, people that you go into business with. So that, that's my feelings about it at the moment. I feel very anxious and worried about it and end up in a situation where we suddenly can't afford to run our football club anymore. Well, I, I worry that we perhaps that the the owners feel a bit claustrophobic at Vicarage Road and there's some there's some one particular legacy bad decision which was to sell the wrap round behind the back of the rookery and I think you're absolutely right Colin making the rookery bigger would be would be would be step one of, of any any ground um, improvements and obviously we can't do that because of the flats that that ground was that that land was sold to, to raise money poor dreadful business decision in terms of the future of the, the football club and that will obviously rankle incredibly um, strongly with the with the current ownership because they've been hamstrung there and then of course you've got occupation road which we all know love and hate at the same time it's difficult to get get away at the end of the games you know there's the the poor people with their their, their houses and the the garages that back onto there so we are penned in and they are unsolvable issues so i wonder how much of that is just eating away at the the owners and they just think right we just want to break free and give ourselves an opportunity to to do something somewhere else but i, I I'm, I'm with colin in as much as you know, my my bottom line is I wouldn't be against it, but the great thing is I think most of us would probably be happy if we stayed at Vicarage Road because it isn't in, isn't looking great now, and there are things that aren't ideal about it, but it is a, a decent watching experience now. The the thing that that I found growing up is I speak to so many of my football supporting friends who don't support Watford, who grew up at the same time as me. Going to Watford because their family took them to Watford. They were either ball boys or their mum and dad were happy for them to go to Watford growing up because it had that family reputation. Who then drifted off and supported Liverpool, Arsenal, Man United, whoever else. It just happened. And, and Watford is, it kind of made the point, Watford is an enjoyable experience for a lot of people. And that's not ideal for us as, as very partisan, committed, engaged supporters. We'd rather it was all full of um, fully engaged. What That isn't the case and it never will be, demonstrably. The point I made about Watford in the in the 80s, when we were, when we were at Pomp in Europe, FA Cup final, we still weren't maintaining um, crowds then, and the, the same is true now. The location of where we're at, the availability of other football, whether it's European, if you want to watch Real Madrid, if you want to watch Champions League, if you want to hop off to Arsenal to watch Europa League, whatever, the, the, the proliferation of football is just such that it's very, very hard to capture capture football supporters for life now um, you know our kids will because we are those ultra partisan football supporters that won't that won't countenance our kids supporting anyone else it, it just won't happen logistically because we'll be at Watford so if they want to go they, they come with us but I think there is a whole generation now and it's even worse now than it was in the 80s when we saw that that drop off where you can get your football elsewhere especially if you live in Buckinghamshire, Hertfordshire, Bedfordshire, around here, the tra- you can get to anywhere in the country 
very, very easily. You could fly to go and watch Hoffenheim, for heaven's sake, probably easier than it is to go to, in similar time, than it would be to go to uh, West Brom away or something like that. It's very, very difficult for us to build a much bigger fan base that's going to fill out a big, big stadium. And the money is, is going to be huge. It's just whether in the long term you have to look at the, uh, I guess Gino Pozzo and Scott are looking at their legacy. Where are Watford going to be in 50 years' time, 100 years' time, with this investment now, carefully structured, mean that the club can move forward on a strong footing for the rest of their history I don't know I'm not financially savvy enough I guess that's what they're looking at far too many variables to 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 discuss whether it is a a savvy decision or not or how likely it is I wouldn't be against it but if we stayed I'd be as happy as Larry I love Vicarage Road well, we'll see what will happen. But I think in my in my mind, everything that Scott's ever told us, you know, through the press or at fans forums is the decisions they make are always right because they know and they've been told and they didn't do the Sir Elton John stand until they had the right sort of demand. Um, it is a long process. It's always a long process. Maybe not as long, hopefully, if it doesn't want to go ahead as, uh, as Brighton. But... Those things all can get resolved uh, and, and hopefully be for the, for the best. But it's still a long way off. We might see some changes at Vicarage Road first. You never know. Thank you very much for listening to From the Rookie End. Thank you much to Colin, uh, who I think we've lost him because uh, he is on his train uh, away uh, today on Sunday morning. Thank you very much, Michael. No problem at all. Uh, and we'll be back on Thursday with another preview podcast before Watford take on Leicester City at Vicarage Road. Oh, John, John, can I just say something? Yeah. Come on!